My name is Sean Thomas. I'm the author of Be More Today, a 40-day guide to a better version of you. As doctor of physical therapy, I've seen thousands of people do great things. They came to me with ailments, physical ailments, pain, issues, and they got through them, all because they decided in their mind they were going to do it. So I wrote a book about it. Your thoughts can make you great or they can make you crumble. Those thoughts actually control everything in your life. I have three things I want you to do. Starts. Things I want you to start doing in your life that you said you wanted to do at some point in time. You said them. Stops. Things I want you to stop doing in your life, which I know you also want to stop. And three goals for your lives. And I take you through a 40-day guide to make sure you take those thoughts for those three things into reality. Now, I put some workouts in there too. Workouts to keep you always on the move because you got to keep moving. you got to stay focused. So, 40 days. Thoughts, workouts, you. And all I want you to do is trust the process and just be persistent. Visit BeMoreTodayBook.com. That's right, BeMoreTodayBook.com. And I guarantee you, if you just trust the process and be persistent, you too can be the best version of you. why why do you want to be more today than you were yesterday you already know that you have to trust the process and just be persistent you already know that next level results require next level effort period but why is today different than any other day what's your why how are you gonna get to the next level see most of you want to make it to the promised land of success but aren't willing to make the sacrifices let me be clear. Nobody said it was gonna be easy. No handouts, no excuses. It's just you versus you. It's go time. Find your wife for the 5 a.m. wake up call. Find your wife for the extra mile you have to do after the workout. Find your wife to face that fear. Take that test. Make that move. Come on, y'all. Your whole life has been a warm up for this moment right here, today. Are you finally ready to play? You gotta decide to stay always on the move. Less talk, more action. Just be better. Just be more. Be more today. What's going on, folks? It's your boy again, Doc Sean Thomas, back in the building. Be more today's show. We are here, season four, episode 113. Oh my goodness, we are back, we are back, we are back in the building. We've done so many things this year already. And I gotta just say thank you for your love and support. We've been doing things for the last four seasons, putting this platform on there. Be more today's show, 73 countries, 68,000 downloads. It's all thanks to you, your love, support, your continual growth with us as we've done this thing for the last four years. I thank you all for your love. And again, it's a movement. We have Be More Today everywhere. BeMoreToday.com for my book, um, which is on Amazon, our podcast. Clearly, our More Merch store, which is open with our logos and our fitness gear. And of course, Project 40, which for those of you who have been doing it with us, has been 40 days of working out, 40 days of fitness, of health, of wellness. And it's just been a journey and uh, a great journey for me to see the change that we've seen in people's lives from day one. As some of you may know, I'm also now a certified running coach. 
I don't know how that happened, but it did. So for those who are doing running things with me this year as I train for Berlin and other races, if you want to join us for that journey, please email me at info at bemoretoday.com. And today's quote is very, very simple as always. Stop avoiding the very activity that can create the results you desire by Myron Golden. Stop avoiding the very activity that can create the results that you desire. This has been a year, for me at least, where I said that I want to be active in everything. And I think sometimes we get very caught up in avoiding things that we know we're going to be good at. Uh, we sometimes even try out of things that we know we don't even like just to get away from what we already know is inevitable. And for some of us, we don't want to do it because it's what our parents did. For some of us, you don't want to do it because it doesn't feel right or because we're looking for other things that people think we should be doing or should be saying or should be living. But there is a talent and a light that's in all of us. And I truly believe that each of us has a talent and a gift to share with the world. And sometimes those talents and gifts are thwarted because we don't have the faith. We don't have the um, the attitude. We don't have the motivation or the, even the time to really put that talent to work. And I just want to encourage you out there. If there's something that you want to do that you're afraid to do, uh, as I've talked about on the show a million times, even from graduating from Brown to now, I've failed at so many things. But each of those things helped me to get closer and closer to what I'm doing now. And that journey is something that I look back now, you don't, you forget the things you didn't do well at. All you look at now is all the progress, the things that you're doing well now, the things that you're seeing success in now, because as these things go by you, the challenges, the pitfalls, right? They're just in a distant memory as you continue to strive and look for what's happening in your future and the desires of your heart that make you happy, the things that really push you to be great. Those things are the things that you remember for the rest of your life. So just know that it may seem hard now. It may seem like, what am I doing? But there are so many things that you want to do, want to get done. And I know you can truly do if you just put your mind to it. And my guest on the show today pretty much is the embodiment of that and so much more. She's a great old friend of mine. And I'm happy we got a chance to reconnect because she's doing amazing things now uh, all over the world. But I got to just let you guys know that she is a rock star and her name is Nina Clemente. Now, Nina Clemente was born in Italy and raised in NYC, New York City. Nina Clemente realized the possibilities of transforming local ingredients into Southern Italian feasts by watching her mother make traditional, delicious and seasonal cuisine. These childhood experiences in which food was the anchor for friends and family to gather around a table share their stories and create memories, inspired her to make food her career. Now, after graduating from Ryan University, Bruno, you know, class of 03 in the house as always. She has a degree in anthropology. Nina began a successful stint as a private chef in Los Angeles. She went on to work at Osteria Maza, learning from the incomparable Nancy Silverton. She then worked at Maya's restaurant in St. Barb's, followed by her time spent under the tutelage of Enrico Cripa at his three Michelin star restaurant, Piazza Duomo in Alba, Italy. She continued on to work as executive chef for the Standard Hotel in their Hollywood and NYC locations, followed by Andre Bolaz on a restaurant project in the Hudson Valley. Now today, Nina strives to bridge both cultures from her childhood by applying all her senses to preparing delicious food, reveling in the, mem the memorable gatherings that uh, food inspires. And now she cooks meals that are clean, colorful and vibrant uh, for the palate. 
food that nourishes is beautiful to look at and tastes amazing. She's currently living in the Hudson Valley, where I'm actually also from, as you guys know, with her two children, Phoenix and Indigo, and her husband, Wayne. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, pets included, please welcome to the stage, my girl, my good friend, and the rock star for today's show, Nina Clemente. Nina, what is going on? What's up, Sean? Thank you so much for having me, man. It's been such a such a long journey since our days at Brown, but uh, yeah, it's pretty. It's been exciting, I think, for both of us. Super inspiring, what you're up to, and, and I'm trying to do the same thing with food to a certain degree, you know. So happy to be here. Thank you. Yeah, for having me. I appreciate you, and you're not trying. You're doing. I mean, I've been following you. I've been trying to catch you for. I, I got to say months now. It's almost been a whole year. I've been trying to track you down and you've been busy doing all kinds of things everywhere. I know you're in the Hudson Valley now where I grew up most of my life. And I'm, I'm sad that I haven't had a chance to reach out to you and connect with you up there, but I'm happy that you're up there doing great things. And, and you know, for those who may not know, we were friends at Brown. We were in the same year. We spent a lot of our, our formative years together. Our first like days, weeks, months at school were like uh, really spent together, having a good time and, and just being in the Brown University era and moment and from dances to chilling and parties and whatever else we had fun and Brown was that thing that connected us and New York City also connected us as well hopping on the Greyhound bus going back and forth you know those things that we forget those things really are are ingrained in my mind so it's just great to be able to connect with you and and I'm glad you're doing so well Thank you. Same, same, my dear, same. Listen, I have a couple of stories that remind me of you back in the day, but one of them was um, I used to be in this dance company that you know, Christian Dance Company, and for whatever reason, I didn't have dinner this this day. I mean, we had a, a practice or rehearsal, and I, I didn't get a chance to get dinner in time, and you know, we were great friends, and you, which I didn't know you cooked at the time, but you came and dropped off this spaghetti and cheese dish for me to eat. And I thought it was the nicest thing. You know, this is great, she's amazing. She came and she got lots of food for me and it was delicious. And as I looked at your story and I looked at your journey, I recognized that you've had this talent, this skill uh, for cooking forever. And I'm curious to know, and you said in your bio that it wasn't until 2007 that you found this passion, but you've been cooking for years. When did you realize that you really enjoyed cooking? Well, it's funny because I, I grew up in a, you know, in a, a very food centric family, um, Italian born, raised, spent my summers in my mom's little seaside town in the, in the south of Italy, where food was such an integral part of our culture, our life, our everything. But growing up, I actually, my mom was like an impeccable, always in the kitchen. She had four of us cooking incredible feasts, nightly, effortlessly, perfectly quaffed heels, the whole thing. I was actually really bad at cooking, or so I thought. When I was in my teens, I started meddling and playing, and I'd always kind of hover and obsess over what was cooking and burn things and make that. I just, I could not nail this implicit, you know, my mom would prepare these incredible pastas and, and dishes that it looked so effortless, but it was apparently not because <laughs> it was pretty bad. Well, when I got to Brown, my first year, um, I was in Keeney. You were not, right? You were in Emerald. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
But at Keeney, it was like, you know, hundreds of us in that building and we had communal kitchens on each floor. And I vividly remember that first year, I started making big pots of pasta and I would put a fan in the doorway and, you know, lure the kids in with the smell of just the most simple, basic, I'm talking pasta with tomato sauce, you know, like, like you said, pasta with some cheese, some good butter. And I would charge people $5 for a plate of pasta, which was, you know, totally fair. And I was making kind of a killing, you know, like five bucks cash. There was no Venmo or Zelle at the time. So it's hard cash. Um, and I think that kind of spurred a little, you know, an understanding that even though I felt very insecure in my cooking, uh, if I practiced, if I worked a little harder at it, it could somehow be fruitful in the long run. And I think growing up in New York City, it was such a drastic shift from these summers in Amalfi. My mom, you know, we grew up in her family home generations. I'm talking like 16th century type generations. And they had a tier or they had, she has a tiered garden where we would pick the wild arugula that was just fiery, spicy, incredible, the tomatoes, eggplants, these giant lemons that I would eat like an apple. And in New York in the winters, it was, it was a little traumatic. You know, you, you'd have these like perfect tomatoes that tasted like perfect looking that tasted like cardboard, you know, they, there was not like this huge movement. I think the the farmer's market, you know, was it was it was there, but it wasn't I was young. I was not going to Union Square like that to, to go. to and, and quite frankly, like the cost was insane for this beautiful produce, which now living in the Hudson Valley, I realize is much more accessible than I grew up thinking. But then I moved after college. You know, I went to Brazil. I went to a couple of different places. But then I moved to Los Angeles in 2007. And when I hit that first farmer's market in Santa Monica, I just, I get goosebumps thinking about it, you know, 20 something years later. It was unbelievable, the bounty of produce, of, of things that didn't only look beautiful, but actually tasted insane, you know, brought me back to my childhood. And even though my fundamentals, my actual technical skill at that point in cooking was was not massive, access to this incredible produce allowed me to kind of prepare things in a very simple, clean way um, that I grew up watching my mom make this these kind of dishes. And suddenly I was booking work. You know, I was doing catering jobs for 60 people with zero. Oh, I should mention, I didn't know how to drive. True Yorker, you know, right. uh, six years old, didn't know how to drive. And, um, but I started booking jobs. My husband now, who was my dear friend back then, would very kindly like give me rides, you know, in his truck to, to, to drop off food, to do events. Uh, he took me to a bunch of the farmer's markets that really that's kind of the beginning of our story. But, um, yeah, I think it took me a while to gain my confidence, you know, to really and and realize that cooking, just like any other skill is is learned, you know, the more you practice, the better you get. Um, and the accessibility to incredible produce for me really changed it. And that's what actually, you know, many, many years later took me up to the Hudson Valley. I was I, you know, you grew up up here, you, you must know it's just it's all around us. You know, there is a couple months right now that's not, <laughs> right. not 
afraid of it, but there's still some amazing greenhouses and some farms really doing it up here, you know? So yeah, that's kind of my, that was my start and my transition into, into cooking and, and making good food. That's incredible. I didn't know about the $5 uh, spaghetti meal that I was missing out. Um, in, in, in Claude, yeah. I should have been over there a little more to, to, to benefit. Yeah, you're, you're across campus. I was yeah. bringing you the free stuff, you know? Yeah, exactly. It was too far. But it, it seems like that was really the spark for this um, creativity for you. And, you know, it's it's like you said, I think, yes, being in the Hudson Valley is beautiful. The experience of you being in Italy, clearly, um, as someone who's been there, you know, once for our honeymoon, we we went to Rome, Florence, and Venice, and just seeing and and smelling. I mean, I can still smell some of the same dishes we had uh, eleven years ago when we were there. The eggplant that we had there, and some of the fishes that we had, and 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 in um, some of the places, just the the essences of the scents and the smells and the seasoning, which is beautiful. And it's a rich culture that now you're talking about infusing the culture you had there with now what you had here in NYC. And I'm looking at it and I'm just salivating, just thinking about it because I get excited whenever I have anything that's Italian based uh, because it's one of my favorite cuisines. And, you know, you being in the Hudson Valley is, is big because as someone who did grow up there, you know, there are not a lot of or there's not a lot of diversity and variety when it comes to food in that area. Right. So there are a couple of places that we go to um, that are in the area. I won't name any ones in particular. But they're always the same ones because there aren't that many up there. So having you in that area is huge because now you can bring your talents, your trades, your 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 culture and your cuisines to a place that literally needs that. As opposed to, you know, being out here in NYC, um, you know, we're just inundated and we're surrounded by so many different cultures and so many different food cuisines. It's almost overwhelming sometimes. So that's nice. That's nice. Um, a real movement in the past couple of years of, of people doing some pretty amazing stuff up here. You know, I think what the Hudson Valley allows that New York city or even Los Angeles doesn't is that the quality of life, you know, you can, you can work to live, not work to survive, which right. I feel like near that's what it is. You know, these bigger cities that are so expensive, you're, you're just working to get back. But up here, I've met so many people that have moved families in particular too that, you know, value spending more time with their kids and value their art outside of maybe what they have to do to survive. They actually can expand on their, their art as well. And, and I include food in that aspect. So there's people up here doing incredible. I mean, some of the best bread I've had has been upstate, you mm. know, bread movement that's not you go to the supermarket almost every loaf of bread has sugar in it yeah look at it it's crazy you know what i mean but up here there's like sourdough like real you know flour that's making that's a whole movement in itself there's just people doing really cool stuff up here so i think that the you know the movement is happening there's more and more great restaurants and great people that are that have that mentality that they're trying to you know make quality product not frank out you know for the financial Right. Benefits. Oh, right. Yeah. So yeah. you talked about cooking with your mom. Uh, my wife is a is a big time cook too, and she talks about cooking with her mom all the time. Uh, living in an Indian household, and her mom showing her how she made certain things and trying to replicate the, the dishes the same way. But you know, her mom doesn't. There's no recipe book. It's just like, yeah, some of this, some of that, some of this, some of that. So when she's talking her over the phone about what to make, 
she's trying to figure out, you know, how to follow. And she's like, yeah, just some of this. And you're trying to guess, well, what's some? Like, I don't, what are you saying to me? So I, I, I can understand and I see you and your mom in the kitchen doing these different certain things. I'm just curious, uh, as someone who experienced that on this end, you know, what it was like for you talking about cooking with your mom and the stories that came about with it. How much of your Italian upbringing and your NYC upbringing are really infused into the dish that you create today? Well, I have to say, actually, I, I would say that I cook more with my mom now mm. than I did back then. Because back then, you know, I was I, I played sports. I was coming home late. Like my mom was she would create again and create in such an effortless way. Like there was not much participation on our on our end, you know, on the kids end. Um, and so it was more about watching her. Right. It was kind of. That, that fly on the wall, just kind of like creeping in and looking. And then I have to say also my my father's father and my mother's mother also in my time spent every every summer in Italy, they were both incredible in the kitchen, you know? But, but it's funny because I don't remember, there wasn't lots of cooking with. And again, maybe it's because it was four of us, they were just trying to wrangle us, you know? But it was, and we ate like, I mean, the amount of food we ate, you know, it's like, get the food on the table, hurry up. But um, but now, especially because I've done it for so long, and I very much similarly to your wife, it's, it, you know, I call, I still call my mom, like, how do you make it? She's like, oh, you know, a little of that, a pinch of this. And you're like, okay, like, right. <laughs> because of how many years I've sort of trained and worked in this field, I can, I can navigate and understand but quantities, and also I've been trying to write a cookbook for so many years, and quantities is one of my biggest weaknesses, you know, because myself included, it's a little of this, a little of that, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and then for restaurants, I've always bulked up recipes, you know, to like quantities that are quite large. So, um, but I would say, you know, I, I would say more than New York, which I don't didn't have as much foundation, except I'd say in the past couple of years that I've been in the Hudson Valley, but most of my foundation was a combination of Los Angeles and Italy. Because mm. LA, you know, I, I grew up very much um, immersed in the Alice Waters movement of really that that clean food. When I landed in LA, it was there was a little bit more of like a, a heavy braised, you know, the the heavier foods, the fried foods, the braised foods. And so that's why I was getting hired so much because I was making a piece of grilled fish with a beautiful salad. You know, I was doing really simplistic dishes that relied so heavily, so heavily on seasonality, on the quality of the product. And in restaurants, it wasn't, now it's abundant, but then it wasn't as abundant. Right. So I was kind of a novelty at the time. And I could get by with that foundation of skill set that I had because of the, and I knew ingredients, mm -hmm. you know, and I could also work, this is one of the most, I think one of my skills that I don't know if this is innate or this is something that you're born with, but in LA, there was lots of ingredients that I worked with for the first time. And mm. just by smelling, tasting, seeing, I knew how to apply it immediately within the realm of whatever dish I was making, you know? Mm. Um, and LA also, I, I have to say from the private chef side, I had so many clients that had a vast array of dietary restrictions, which right. growing never, it was not like, Oh, I mean, you know, my dad actually had some macrobiotic years, but mm. um, that was my first exposure to having to really 
execute, you know, things that I'd never done before. Right. Still applying my style to them. And then also people loved having, you know, LA, everyone had, most people have giant kitchens that they never use, uh, particularly these clients I worked with. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would create, you know, I, I was immersed in other cultures. There was a lot of movie people that I worked with where they had themed parties, albeit, you know, there was a premiere, Bob Marley premiere. So they asked me to, to you know, skew Jamaican. And so that forced me to do research and play and sort of experiment with cultures that I didn't grow up making. And that was one of the most fruitful for me in terms of learning curve was having you know, forced out of my comfort zone, out of the Italian zone, you know, and, uh, and I love, I mean, I love making a variety, you know, pulling from a variety of cultures that are not my own. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, it was, I, I've been so lucky in terms of the, the access to, to work I've had that has kind of fostered my skill set and my, my passion, you know. Yeah. I love yeah. it. I mean, it's 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 always fun when you see someone thriving in their element, right? Where where they just are just doing what they do so well and actually enjoying it. And um, yeah. you know, you mentioned that your your meals are clean, they're colorful, they're vibrant, and just by listening to you describe them, I can definitely see that. What are some of your favorite dishes that you like to make uh, for parties for people? What are some of the things that you, you just really enjoy doing and making for the people who, uh, come to you? I mean, going back to my roots, you know, pasta all day, every day, and, and not, not just not fresh pasta as much with two small children. It's, you know, that's, that's a project, but just saucing up pasta in, in a variety of ways. But then I also, again, out of completely out of my comfort zone up here, I, I love making tagine, very non-Italian, you know, but I'm obsessed with preserved lemon. Um, and, and my kids love olives, which I abundantly put in there. I love making ramen. You know, um, I worked with this incredible chef, Sonoko, in Los Angeles to make soba. You know, again, completely out of my cult, my my cultural foundation, but with such respect and, you know, and those flavors and, you know, upstate, the, the access to, you know, it's, it's not as abundant as the city um, or LA, which is more like my restaurant foundation accessibility. Um, So yeah, I, I, those I'd say are some of my dishes that I, I love making for my, particularly for my family, you know, and I will say that, after many years of working in a restaurant, it, it really is not not the most luxurious lifestyle, if you mm-hmm. will, particularly, you know, having a small child. When I gave birth to my daughter Indigo, who's now nine, I that was when I first they hired me as my first executive chef position when I was five months pregnant. And I sort of didn't stop for four years where like I kind of hopped from restaurant to restaurant in that role. And, you know, it's, it was like 14 hours a day. It was, it was excruciating. I I sort of fell out of love with cooking, you know, particularly when you're cranking out volume and you're managing way more staff that, you know, like you're, that are way worse behaved than your small toddler. You know, it's, it's, uh, I fell out of love. You know, and it took me some time to fall back in love. I'd say actually the pandemic kind of shifted things for me because I was able to kind of 
spend more time with my family than I probably ever had um, and cook with so much more. Because then again, when you're cooking 14 hours a day in a restaurant environment, come home you're making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich you know right. what I mean? like, yeah. like you're not there's no and i was very adamant about feeding my child really well so i'd make her amazing food but then i'd be eating her scraps you know what i mean <laughs> just like <laughs> you know, i mean it was yeah it was it was hard it was hard and then but now i think i've like rebirthed and i've i've reassessed you know when people are like don't you want your own restaurant i'm like nope <laughs> not even a little bit you know um so yeah it's it's funny ebbs and flows of of work and and the passion how it came from me you know in the beginning it was so much passion and then it became something else you know and i think i i've, I've been reborn and mm. also my son pandemic baby named phoenix you know born from the ashes but um yeah, it's been really, I've been really lucky and blessed in the past couple of years, you know, through all the chaos and the pandemic and, and everything. And I don't know. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, I feel I'm in a much better place right now in terms of the, the, the restaurant world and the reckoning, you know, being, I was mistreated copious amounts of times when I was a line cook mm. in my early in restaurants, you know, and thankfully I, I didn't become that chef. You know, I actually had the opposite problem where some of my employees, I wasn't violent enough for them to respect me, you know, so it's it's interesting, sort of the transition that whole industry has made as well in the past couple of years. Yeah, that's very interesting. I think the pandemic has been was something that was a uh, fork in the road for a number of people, um, even myself. You know, there was a point in time looking at my own career. I've been a therapist now for about 11 years, I said, you know what, prior practice, I'm going to do it. And I, I talked about that for a number of years. And yeah, the family aspect of it was the one thing that I said, you know what, not not right now, because so much work and effort goes into owning anything, right? If you could be owner for a restaurant or a PT place, healthcare, whatever, the amount of hours that are put into doing that thing, you know, if you're 17, 18, 21, no family is totally different than if you're in your 40s, two kids, one kid, you know, married, what have you. It's a very different mindset. And I thought, at least for me, I thought, oh, it, what's the big deal? It'd be hard for the first few months. And and they do say those things. But like you said, so much time and effort gets taken for doing this work thing that it takes away from family in such a huge manner that, yeah, you miss spending time and you miss moments. You miss critical moments with your kids, with your husband, wife, et cetera, while you're trying to make a buck for yourself. So yeah, I, I think the paradigm shift has changed for a number of us who are like, yo, let me let me not put all of my efforts and energy into doing that. But what can I do instead to still, you know, make a money, make a legacy, uh, make a future for my family. And I think you're doing that. And I'm doing that as well, just trying to figure out the best way to still showcase our talents and still, of course, be compensated for what we know that we're good at. And we know that people are really buying into. And I think you're doing it from doing things in the Hudson Valley to, I know you say you're working on a cookbook, which is, is super exciting. You know, you mentioned that in, in passing. And I think all those things are are the things that people are now pivoting to and shifting to because there's a new normal now. There's a new way of looking at appreciating family and appreciating time, especially seeing the pandemic and how much we lost and how many people we lost. I mean, they're just more important things nowadays than than the grind, 
And yeah. um, if you can make it successful and still make money with it and, and still enjoy doing your passion, I think that's that's fantastic. That's fantastic. Listen, Nina, I know that um, a number of people, including myself, um, have a hard time cooking. And I'm going <laughs> to say that I, I, I can cook. My wife is a much better cook. I, I will never say I can come anywhere close to how my wife cooks. And I can make things. Um, but I am I I I struggle with cooking. It is not fun for me. Um, I get sent often to go to the store and pick up groceries, and I have a list that's always sent to me at the end of my work day when I'm exhausted. It's never fun for me. I I I have to just go through my list and then taking pictures of okay, what does she want? And I look online and see what it looks like. Is that what okay? It just it's not it's not enjoyable for me at all. So I'm curious what tips you would share for those who are kind of like me who can cook, but they don't really enjoy cooking, but they know cooking is something that we have to do because we got to eat. And yeah. it's a challenge, right? So what are some tips that you can share with the listeners or anyone uh, on ways that they can make cooking easier, more enjoyable, even more effective during the yeah. week? Yeah. I, you know, it's so interesting to me because to not find cooking enjoyable Right. That's that's something that you would think as a chef, like there's no way that I could ever think like that. But like I mentioned, when I was working those hours where that's all I did, I had the same thing where I would come home and be like, oh, my God, like, what do I have to cook? I don't want to cook, you know, the, the effort the clean for me, the cleanup after, you know, all of it, managing the kid that's running around. Um, that being said, I think that a good approach is to pick three dishes, right? And at this point, I mean, there's no excuse for not being able to make something because the internet is at your fingertips. There's a billion videos on every particular thing you could ever imagine wanting to learn how to make. You pick three dishes that either you love, your partner loves, your kids love, you know, I mean, helpful if all of you love it, quite frankly. And you just work on those three dishes, you know, and you perfect those three dishes. And again, also preferable if those three dishes have interchangeable ingredients. So for example, like for me, steaming a vegetable, a, a green bean, some broccoli, the most simple foundation and hitting it with two, there's two options. You could do olive oil, lemon and salt, the most simple when it comes off. Or you could also, if you prefer something hot, olive oil and garlic, you know, and you just kind of saute it in that. So, and that's interchangeable with a hundred vegetables. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, just the, getting a couple of dishes that, that excite you, that do regardless of how much, even if it's a one pot, if you hate cleaning, find something that's a one pot dish. You know, there's a billion also of those out there, you know, yeah. uh, just perfect that those couple of dishes. I think, you know, I'm so fortunate that my husband is an amazing cook and he's from Trinidad. So culturally too, it's a total shift from what I'm making. Um, and we alternate every night who cooks and our kids are avid eaters. I mean, my 20 month old could wipe out like a whole roast chicken. And I mean, it's, it's a running joke how much food he eats. Um, and I do think, you know, I see some of my friends where it's a one-sided cooking operation. And that is so hard. Even just to think, I think of my own mother, like by the end being like, oh my God, what do you guys want to eat? You know, 
Um, so even if you're not great at cooking, you, it's not your favorite thing. Even if you're the one working your ass off all day and, you know, your partner is at home taking care of the kids or somebody, else, you know, even if there's an imbalance there and you feel mm. like, no, you know what? I'm not the one to cook. I challenge you to actually take those three dishes, which makes that three days of you cooking, you mm. know, um, and also I know a lot of us struggle to, to put, to make our, our kids lunches for school, you know? So there too, think about a dish that can, it's my little, my little baby just came in. Um, think about a dish that can, that can kind of go into, you know, can roll into the next day. This is Phoenix. Sorry. Say hi, Phoenix. <laughs> um, so, you know, you can warm some fried rice, you know what I mean? That you could warm up for your kid the next day and slide into a thermos, you know? Even a grilled cheese, which, you know, I don't know if you remember Christine Moy, but the first time she tried to make me a grilled cheese, I was like, what the hell? Like, this is a cheese. She burned that to the ground, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, I don't know. I just think that, yeah, that's my challenge to you is, is find your three dishes and make them. And involve your, put your kids to work. My nine-year-old, she's shredding carrots for me. She makes dressings for our salad every night. There's a salad at the end of the meal. And she's been doing it since she was four years old. Because wow. I would come prepared at 6 p.m., you know, and, and, you know, hustling to get dinner on the table. So I gave her a bowl, a whisk, some mustard, a couple of vinegars, some lemon, olive oil, salt, and she would go to town. And would she not always make the best dressing? Yes. But did it give her the confidence to now when we have dinner parties, we're like, Indigo, go make the dressing. And she's yeah. up. Yeah. Going her she scrambles her own eggs in the morning. Put those kids to work. They love this one, 20 months old, he's obsessed with setting the table. Not the most ideal situation because he puts like <laughs> 50 plates on the table, but he really wants to participate, you yeah. know? Yeah. And I think oftentimes it's easier and quicker and less messy for us to just do it ourselves mm -hmm. but put them to work early because by the time he's two he's going to be fully setting the table right know? right um yeah. so yeah we started my husband started her chopping at two years old she had her own knife and she was chopping garlic i'm not talking about like a mushy banana she was mm -hmm. chopping garlic mm -hmm. <laughs> That's so, yeah. very impressive. Hey, make it make it a family affair the best you can, you know. Get those three dishes. That's my challenge. And yeah. you know, and that's that. That is great advice. That is great advice. Yeah, we're gonna touch base next month, Sean. I want to know what three dishes you've perfected. Listen, put me on. I'm gonna I'm gonna touch base with you next month. Three dishes. Three I already dishes. have an idea for one, but yes, I'm gonna I'm gonna have three dishes to share with you for sure. Amazing. For sure, for sure. Listen, I um, I just want to talk briefly about your dad because uh, you know, I, I knew that your dad was uh, a pretty pivotal portion of the art world for a long time, and I didn't realize we had shared the same birthday. So he's a March baby, so he's super cool. Lur now, but um, you know, when I met him a long time ago, and just being you know in your house and seeing all the art that was around you, um, and listening to you talk about. You know your dad and Keith Haring and all the people that you were surrounded with when you were younger. I'm just curious how that creativity, being around that creativity and that level of creativity, 
how that has impacted you into your of your creativity in the kitchen and with your food because i do believe that there's a certain connection between um creatives when it comes to whether it's art music dance cooking those things are all kind of connected so um yeah. what inspirations do you take from your dad or from the people that you were around um at an early age and even even now today i mean for me it was all about the visual you know because I, I grew up when we moved to new york I, we were living in my dad's studio um all these incredible artists keith herring john Basquiat. like I, I grew up with them in the household and and the poets too alan ginsburg william burroughs you know and it was a constant visual stimulation, you know, no separation, really. So for me, I think that's been the most impactful, you know, I don't know if it sounds pretentious, but I've always considered my craft, food and art, you know, one of the best forms of art, because it really stimulates all the senses, you know what I mean? So um, yeah, I think I've been so fortunate to have grown up in that environment, because it really dictates even just my plating, you know, I think it's, it's, it's gotta be beautiful, you know, the same for the kids. I mean, I make this little kid, he eats whatever we're eating, but I still take, instead of just like slop on a plate, which we're, you know, used to for the little kids, like, oh, there's mush. No, like plate it up nice. Give them already, you know, an aesthetic in terms of the beautiful food altogether, the flavors, the colors, the vibrancy of it. Um, yeah, I think that's been the, the most lasting um, for me. And then also, you know, all these artists were their own activists. And for me, the accessibility to good food, the fact that in this country, it's it's just, it's not an equal situation. I mean, right now in particular, food is, the cost of food, I really, like, it concerns me, yeah. you know, I think that obviously, you know, corporate America, I mean, all these fast food, I, I, I thought about the other day, we don't have, you know, we have TV with Netflix, but we don't have commercials. But when we go away, somehow, you know, you, you catch a moment of commercials. And I thought the other day, you know, when I see a Burger King or a McDonald's commercial, I, I don't eat that food, but I'm like, damn, that looks insane. You know, it's like so hyper glossy and dripping. And mm -hmm. I'm like, don't they make commercials like that about vegetables? Mm -hmm. Like, beautiful, vibrant carrot or like a crispy, chilled piece of celery. You know what I mean? Right. There's yeah. no in culture here. Even as, when I was a little kid growing up, you know, like vegetables have been made the enemy since there's no, like, it, it's so wild to me. And then also from an accessibility standpoint, I do think having the time to actually cook is a luxury. That's yeah. a luxury. When you go to so much more of the world, that's ingrained in the culture. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's ingrained in the work. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. There's like a big ass break for lunch because they expect people to cook and right. to make, you know? Yeah. Um, even in delis, I'm like, why is there not, why can't I buy a carrot stick? One, not like a box. Right. You know what I mean? Like, why? It just seems like there's no value there. Yeah, and that's something that I, I've been trying to navigate and figure out um, just how to make food more accessible, good food, you know, and, and, and build it in, in turn. And with my cookbook, I'm trying to also do simultaneously a children's book. My mom's actually an amazing illustrator. Mm. So she 
grew a bunch of vegetables for indigo when she was little. And I'm trying to sort of make vegetables cool. Yeah. You know, make good eating cool. Yeah. I see cartoons my daughter watches and I'm like offended. You know, they're like, oh, kale, disgusting in a cartoon. Right. Like, obviously, that's leaving a really messed up imprint on these kids' minds. Yeah. Oh, you know? so yeah, I'm, I'm trying to make vegetables cool. That's that's a big goal for me. And, yeah. and eating, you know, and and accessible, quite frankly, you know, it's not fair um, that that's the way it is. You yeah, know? I completely agree with you. I think that that's a bigger issue economically. Um, and, and depending on where you live in the world, definitely a, a bigger issue. And of course, you know, I was always envious as I learned as I was taking French in middle school that there were these countries that took an hour off for lunch. I was like, wait a minute, what, what, why is that not yeah. happening here? And yeah, I get it. I think it is about the culture of whatever place we're looking at. And you're right, vegetables and nutritious foods are not highlighted. I mean, my daughter, when she had her first McDonald hamburger, was like, what is this? And I was like, oh no, here we go. This is not a good trend for us to do. But, you know, we, we try to make sure that we at least educate that, you know, food is medicine. Food is that thing that can make you feel great. It can make you feel horrible. And we have to watch what we eat at all times. And I think you're right. Incorporating them early in terms of cooking and being a part of the process, especially for good food, quality food, healthy food, is the way to go. And, and I hope that your book will also highlight those things for others, that they can really go out there and find nutritional foods that are good for you, easy to make, uh, yeah. and affordable. Because yes. yeah, I think that the financial piece is the big piece. That's tough. And, you know, I feel bad sometimes walking around, especially walking around, you know, Brooklyn, NYC, and you see all the poverty and homelessness, and even sometimes people who are just trying to find food. And it's always like, you know, the bag of chips that you're giving somebody or the bag of cookies or, you know, whatever you have, which are all processed foods anyway. You know, I wish we had more access to give somebody, you know, slightly sticking some and some peanut butter or, you know, or some something that was going to be more nutritious just in that moment, say, you know, I know you're hungry, have this and let that be the the give as opposed to, you know, the bag of Doritos or whatever we're giving somebody else on the street. So it's a bigger issue. And, I, and I'm glad that you're at the forefront of that in, in your field and in your craft to be able to to make that change. Um, and to be honest, you know, that's what Be More Today is all about. It's really about trying to find people who are doing these great things in their communities. So um I got to ask you, I've asked everybody on the show when they hear the phrase be more today, when you hear be more today, what does that phrase in your craft and for what you're trying to do in life, what's that mean to you? I mean, for me, be more is, you know, it's about making that, that impact. You know, I think I'm, I'm able to do it for my kids, lucky, luckily enough. And now it's about doing it, you know, for the, the bigger community and um, yeah. And just, and just waking up with that purpose, you know, really trying to build on everything that I've done so far um, and create a better future for them, for, for everyone that's, that's on this planet, you know? Yeah. yeah. Listen, last question. I know you're leaving a legacy for your family. Um, you already come from a legacy with your father um, and your mom and your family in general, but now with Phoenix and Indigo and your husband, I see you trying to do bigger and better things for them and for the future. So, What's next for Nina Clemente? Uh, what's on the docket? I know you talked about the book. What else is up for you for yeah. the future? And what can we look forward to to see you being more today in, in the future months? Yeah, well, this, this for me, the book has been a long time coming. So that's that's taking a big chunk 
of my time. And then I have one more project that's on, on the docket that I can't totally disclose yet, but it, it would be pretty exciting if it happened. Um, and I'll keep you posted. You'll be the first to know. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Nina, last question. What's your favorite food TV show to watch? Because I have a number that I watch. So I'm curious when people actually cook, what show <laughs> that they like to watch? So I, I'm I'm super late to the game because I don't have Hulu, but my friend just hooked me up with password. Don't tell them. But the the bear is unbelievable, truly like just insane. And then with my daughter, she got me strung out on nailed it. <laughs> nailed it. Sometimes he yells out nailed it. <laughs> But we just laughed so hard watching that show. Um, yeah, those are those are you know my my top two right now for sure. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Yeah, we watch a lot of those shows as well in our household. Um, mostly the pastry shows because those are a lot of fun for us to watch. And uh, mm -hmm. of course, Beat Bobby Flay is one of our our favorites because I love to see Bobby Flay lose, although it doesn't happen very often. But he always <laughs> we like to just watch it anyway. And Top yeah. Chef, of course. Top Chef was our big show for the longest time. But um, Nina, I appreciate you so much. Thank you for being on the show today. You've made this one for the books. And I'm uh, excited for the journey. I'm excited for the book. Um, I don't know if you're going to reunion or not. But if you are, I may see you. I may not. I don't know. We'll see what's going yeah. on. But reunion then. Yeah, I know. We should go, right? I should go. I got to see you. Oh, it's time. It's time. It has been 20 years. So we'll see what's going on. Um, but Thanks. I appreciate you and your family. Thank you so much Thanks. for making time today. Big love. Take care. Big love. Big love. And and folks, if you're if you're just taking a bit from what she said today, she said so many things about legacy, about finding her passion, about going out there and and being great and not being afraid to fall into the gift uh, and not and not hiding the gift as well. She's doing great things for her community. She's doing great things for the food community and showcasing that you can do this. You can make easy cuisines for your family, for your friends. You can make something that you enjoy doing, part of your career and part of your legacy. And the only thing to do is go out there, be fearless, learn what you have to learn, and get it done. So again, a quote from today, stop avoiding the very activity that can create the results that you desire. Go out there and create those desires in your life as well. And folks, follow us at bemoretoday.com for, again, all the things you heard today. From this podcast for our book on more merch and everything else any questions you have for me or maybe even for nina you can follow me at bemoretoday.com for those things or email me at bemoretoday.com for any questions you may have folks have a good day have a good night have a great life and continue to take your steps to greatness to be the best version of you we'll see you next week peace